Good evening, and welcome back after months and months and months of a break. For those who have forgotten, it was the summer holidays, and it was the Yom and Yerayim, and Sukkot, and there's history, but this time of year we always have a long break, I'm afraid. But welcome back, and hopefully we'll get back into sequence, into our normal pattern. We are learning Hilfus Shabbos, and Mrs. Tess has asked me perhaps we can change into to something different, maybe text-based. I'm game for anything. I'm very game for anything. I don't mind learning anything other than Kabbalah. I said I don't mind learning anything with you. And uh, if you can make a consensus together of what you would like, I'm very happy. But it's got to be more or less agreed by everybody. I don't want to... Work it. Within reason. Um, so, uh, in the moment we'll only have the Shabbos, we'll carry on doing a bit of the Shabbos, but if you do get together and decide you want to do something else, um, I'm happy, whatever, whatever interests you, whatever would interest people who don't come to this year, I'm very happy to do And if you want to carry on with the Shabbos and any other halakhas, I'm happy to do that too. Uh, I'm very easy going sometimes. So I thought we'll discuss now Hilfus Muxa. We haven't done Hilfus Muxa for about seven, eight, nine years. I thought we'll do Chazor a little bit on Hilfus Muxa. Hilfus Muxa is something which you're going to come across every single week, every single Shabbos. Constantly, it's, it really is relevant to, to all the time in your home. What's called Muxa, what's not. And you'll be surprised at some of the things that are not Muxa, and you'll be surprised at some of the things that are Muxa. It's, uh, muxa is, is a very broad, vast subject. So let's make a start on discussing the halakhas of muksa. Just a background to muksa, the different types of muksa, and the different aspects of what, where muksa is forbidden, when it's not forbidden, etc. And then we'll, in the coming weeks, we'll go through, we'll itemize each cat category of muksa and analyze it with examples and, and scenarios. So let's make a start. First of all, we have to understand that the halakha of muksa is only an isra drabonon. When I say only, I don't mean in any way to minimize it, but a Jarabono is always more lenient than a Deraisa. So, for example, if you have something which is forbidden biblically and you have a doubt as to whether this in- is included in the category of it isn't, then we have a rule of Sophic Deraisa Lachumra, something which is forbidden min hatayr, something which is biblically forbidden, one always errs on the side of caution. If it's only rabbinically forbidden, then we can always we can err on the side of. How do you say the opposite of err on the side of caution? You throw caution to the wind. Okay. Say something French to... to uh, then you can throw caution to the wind. I like that. That's very good. So a sovereign drabonon is easier. A sovereign drabonon is the kula. A sovereign derives is the chumis. So we have to realize that muksa, as, se- as severe and detailed as the halakhas of muksa are, it is a rabbinically introduced isa. It's not minhatayya. Minhatayya, you can touch anything on Shabbos without any problem at all. Chazal came along for various reasons and decided if they left Shabbos as the Torah gives Shabbos to us, then Shabbos is going to go out the window for certain reasons. And that's a few reasons that we're going to discuss now. Why did Chazal find it necessary to introduce a new concept and it's a completely new concept, Moksha? It doesn't have any basis in any biblical history whatsoever. It's a completely new concept. The concept of not allowing ourselves to touch or move or use. And we'll discuss the, the, the variables of touching, using and moving a bit later on Shabbos. And this is something which Chazal introduced completely and utterly from scratch. Most Drabonons are not from scratch. Most Drabonons are additions to something that we already have uh, as a biblical issa. So, for example, we shake Lulav seven days of Sukkot 
There is a beautiful command to shake it one day, and we extend that to seven days. This is a, a concept of a Malacha Shabbos that doesn't actually exist in the biblical aspect of Shabbos. Because I'll find it necessary to introduce a completely new concept of Muksa, called Muksa, because the Rambam gives us a number of reasons. One or two of the other shall give us some other reasons. And I'll, I'll itemize them briefly for you, the, the reasons behind why Chazal found it necessary to create and invent a new Issa called Muksa. The Rambam's first reason is because we know from the Nobi, the Nobi tells us that uh, 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 to, do, to make Shabbos into weekday by talking about weekday matters and behaving in a weekday manner is forbidden. Well, that's why Shabbos has got to be careful. One says, I can't on Shabbos say that I'm going to be traveling tomorrow, or I can't say anything which is forbidden to do on Shabbos, I can't discuss on Shabbos, I can't talk business on Shabbos. So if you have to invite uh, a, a couple over for a meal and they have to have similar business interests, the meal mustn't be, the conversation mustn't be spent around the business aspect of your common, uh, the common denominator between the two of you, because that would in some way transgressed what Chazal said came along Chazal and they said to keep Shabbos the Shabbos and this is something which is very important because we see it all the time and this is one of the reasons behind one of the, some of those who not, not Rabbi Coleman at all but some of those who didn't like the concept of Erevin and things like that is based around some of this concept Shabbos is very easy to, be, get, to get lost one can lose the, the, the idea of Shabbos and the beauty of Shabbos and the concept of Shabbos it's very very simple for it to disappear down you, know, you can imagine if the, the Chazanish wouldn't have said that lights are forbidden to be put up to switch on a Shabbos imagine we would have to switch on lights and all electricity and, and mobile phones etc where would Shabbos be today? where would Shabbos be today? Baruch Hashem the Chazanish realized the, the severity of Shabbos and he, he enforced and it's been accepted across the whole of Kodeshul irrelevant of which part of cultural, which shape, color, and size you are. The, the concept of not using electricity in Shabbos has been accepted. Does it have clear basis in Allah? Not so clear at all. It really isn't so clear at all that electricity is also. But it's been accepted that it's also, despite its lack of clarity. And it, the primary reason for that is because, can you imagine electricity would be muttered to use in Shabbos? There would be no Shabbos at all. You, you could drive electric cars, you'd be able to use your mobile phone, you could switch lights on and off, you could, uh, I don't know if you could cook, but you know, there's many other areas of, of daily life that would just become, Shabbos would be mundane. So Chazal realized in the time of when, when Chazal lived, in the, in, in the period of, of, the, of the Mishnah and the Gemara, Chazal realized that Shabbos is, could easily fall into, into uh, disdain amongst people by them not treating Shabbos and behaving as Shabbos in a manner which would be applicable to Shabbos. Like the Novi warned Kaladisrael not to desecrate Shabbos by talking things which are not appropriate for Shabbos. And by the way, the Shalmi tells us that even the, the average layman in the time of Chazal knew not to say, not to talk in, uh, things which were negative in Shabbos. So the Chazal tells us that, for example, if an Amoric gave you a piece of fruit on Shabbos and said that he'd taken Kumas and Maishas from it, you can believe him. Because on Shabbos, and even an Amoric wouldn't lie. The power of Shabbos was so strong that in the Amoric, an Amoric, we're not talking about Tamil Chacham, the average layman, the average, the average work, working, uh, lower, lower end of the working class would not dare to say a, 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 an untruth on Shabbos. It just didn't exist. And that's what a lovely war is coming to Shabbos. Make sure that even your speech on Shabbos is Shabbos speech. It's not weekday speech. 
Now Chazal realized that if we allowed us to move and touch and, and use every item that exists, then Shabbos can easily be, become a mundane day. It's very possible for Shabbos to just become another day. You know what? I'll clear out my cellar and I'll, I'll, I'll sort out all my clothes and I'll, I'll you know, brush out the, 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 the china cupboard and just keep going. There's no end to it. Shabbos could easily become an, a, another normal day where the beauty of Shabbos and the, the, the sanctity of Shabbos is just lost, just totally lost. Came along Kazan and they said, therefore we're forbidding you, we're banning you from moving, touching, using certain items. And those items are, are items that we call muksa. The items that we call muksa, those items can't be used. And that's one of the backgrounds why Chazal found it necessary to introduce a new concept, a new issue of something which doesn't have a basis in, in the Torah at all, called Issa Muxa. Second reason that the Raman gives us is because many of the items that Chazal forbade us from touching and using are items that are related to and connected to actions which are forbidden to do on Shabbos. So therefore, Chazal were worried if you're allowed to, to move, say, a telephone, if you're allowed to move a telephone, then th- that's already one stage closer to actually coming to switch on the telephone, use the telephone. And therefore, Chazal wanted to give us a certain barriers which will prevent us from inadvertently or maybe even inadvertently when we get used to something to transgress and cross that red line of using something which is forbidden to use in Shabbos. And therefore, they made a new rule called Muxa. Don't even touch it. Don't get anywhere near it. Keep far away. And that way it protects us from Chasushon slipping into the, the misuse of something which mustn't be used on Shabbos. That's the second reason. Third reason, and this is a very interesting one. Again, this is all about preserving the, the sanctity of Shabbos, giving us an understanding that Shabbos is unique and mustn't in any way be equated with a weekday. Now, there are many people in, in society, and uh, today we would call them slightly different types of people, there are many people in society that don't actually do any work. Not because they're lazy, but because the type of work that they're employed in is not manual work. So he could be a, a, a guard or, or on the field guard, or he could be, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, somebody who, 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 what they call a tile, who does uh, journeys and stuff, and, or he could be a shepherd. Uh, there's many areas of work, of, of work that people will be doing which doesn't actually involve any manual labor. So when it comes to Shabbos, that group of society, that group of people don't have any change in their work in, in their day from a Shabbos to a weekday because sitting in a, in a guard hut watching the, the cucumbers growing and make sure that nobody comes and steals them is can be done Shabbos actually nothing wrong so what defines his Shabbos as a different day to his weekday so Chazal had to find something which would be relevant to every member of society every part of society and create some sort of clear, recognizable difference between Shabbos and the weekday. And that's what they invented the halakhas of muksa, because the halakhas of muksa are such that they affect everybody. If I'm sitting in my hut uh, watching the, 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 the cucumbers and making sure that no animals or humans come and steal them, then muksa is going to affect me. I can't move the stones, I can't do this, I can't do that. I'm stuck. It's certain. Automatically, my day becomes defined. The moment my day becomes defined, I now understand that Shabbos is a different day to weekday. So it's not because we're worried that you're going to actually come to do something else, but we want to give a bit more of a definition to the Shabbos day. Again, this is all about enabling Shabbos to be a Shabbos rather than Shabbos becoming another mundane day. 
And finally, the, the last and probably the most relevant of the reasons is the, re- the reason that the Raivet gives us, and he says that Chazal worried that if he allowed us to move any object, then the jump from that to actually carrying in the public domain is very, very small. It's very small. The moment we have, the more restrictions we have, the easier it is, the, the more difficult it, 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 it is for us, or should we say, the more protected we are from then coming to do something which is really awesome. So we know the Torah forbids us from carrying in the street. You're not allowed to carry in the street. If I have to think before I pick up an item, is this mutter, is it permitted for me to touch this item? Is it not permitted? Then I'm already two stages away from inadvertently coming and carrying in a public domain. And therefore, Chazam introduced the halakhs of muksa, and by doing that, they've preserved the sanctity of Shabbos, and they've also enabled us to be one step further away from Chassam come to carry in the public domain. And those are the basic reasons why Chazam introduced Muqsa. Now, all of them have their own connotations. I'm not going to go through each of them every time you mention a different type of Muqsa, but some, some of them you'll understand yourself, some are a bit more complicated, but all of these are reasons why certain articles and items will be included under the banner of Muqsa, because they fit into these categories of reasons that the Rishonim explained to us uh, that lie behind the, the concept of Muqsa. So that's an easy bit of muksa. That's a simple part. Just understanding the background and in one short word, Shabbos. That's what muksa is all about. Shabbos, keeping Shabbos with Shabbos. And that was the, uh, some of the concept behind some of those who didn't like the Arab. And you do see it. You go to Princess Park and you see the kids playing football on Shabbos. You begin to think to yourself, where's my Shabbos gone? Where's these, where's, where's these children's Shabbos? What's the difference between playing football on a Sunday and playing football on a Shabbos? And if they come with a sports gear and a set on a Shabbos, you can't take offer. There's nothing wrong with wearing sports uh, shorts and, 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 uh, and trainers and, and, and a t-shirt. And Shabbos begins to lose its Shabbos. Begins to lose its Shabbos. Uh, if you can transport things through the street, then you end up carrying backwards and forwards, and, and, and it, becomes, it becomes a mundane day. That way, again, we've kept the sanctity of Shabbos. That, again, just to stress, that's not the reasoning behind Robert Feldman when he said that we shouldn't carry an area. That's not the reason he is based on a lot of it. But that concept does apply to modern day, modern day shilas as well, and, and as we said, the concept of, of electricity is one of the, probably the biggest uh, area where Shabbos remains Shabbos because uh, the day of the time realize that without it, Shabbos is going to completely fall into, into, uh, into disregard. So let's now go through the different concepts, the different types of muksa. Let's, let's just, before we begin to talk about the types of muksa, we have to understand that in order for us to understand muksa, we have to understand every category of muksa, and there's a number of those. The discussion tells us six, and those six do break up into small subgroups, and it becomes more like eight, nine, ten different types of muksas. There's different areas of where muksa affect us, meaning, does muksa affect us in, in the sense that we're not allowed to use the muksa? Are we allowed to touch muksa? Are we allowed to move muksa? When and what and how am I allowed to relate to muksa, and does is, are the halakhs of muksa universal across all the different categories of muksa, or does it change? And that's what we're here for, to try and run through. They do change. Different categories of muksa have different halakhs attached to them. Uh, different scenarios will have different reactions, different permissions, what, what, what's permitted and what's not, in different scenarios. So the Gemara talks about, you've got your barrel, for example, and you want to access the wine inside the barrel, but on top of the barrel is a stone. They would often put a stone on top of the barrel to 
keep the, the barrel weighed down or keep the lid on or to stop it opening, whatever it may be. And you come for your wine for Friday night and you see there's a stone on top of your barrel. What do you do? A stone is muksa, as we'll discuss a bit later. So th- there are scenarios that you're going to come across many times. You come to your Shabbat table and, and, and the child or grandchild or the great-grandchild has, has left a pen in the middle of the Shabbat table. What do you do now? So there's many scenarios that you're going to come across where, Shabbat, where muksa will affect your daily Shabbos life and we need to know how to react and in different types of muxas will enable you to react or will dictate you to react in different ways and that's what we're going to discuss at length so we need to understand every different aspect different types of muxas and then in each one how we can relate to it what's permitted what's forbidden what do we do in, in certain scenarios what do we do in different scenarios etc so it will take a little bit of a, a little while a number of sure to get through all the different muxas and go through line by line and perhaps even to give some examples of practical cases of muxa which are relevant to, to society and us today so let's run through the different types of muxas that we have the first muxa which is uh, the, the, uh, something which is probably least understood but in, in the Gemara it's one of the most classical muxas that's called Muksa Machmach Tisarakis. Called Muksa Machmach Tisarakis. That means something which is Muksa because it's valuable. Muksa Machmach Tisarakis doesn't actually have to be valuable, but something which is valuable will, will be in a category of Muksa. So before we explain the Muksa Machmach Tisarakis, let's explain the word Muksa, because that's important for us to understand the word Muksa in order to understand what, what is going on here. The word Muksa literally means to set aside. To be maxed something in Hebrew means to set something aside, to set it apart. That's what muksa means. So I have an item which I've set apart, I've detached it from my normal everyday living. That's considered, that goes under the category of muksa. So perhaps we'll start a little bit backwards and we'll explain the word muksa and then we'll come back to all the, to the details. The Chazal based their rabbinical hitta of muksa on a process of Hechino is Asher Yodiyu. Is the pasuk which tells us that you should prepare for the month for Shabbos. You should prepare your month for Shabbos. Prepare your food for Shabbos. Don't prepare your food on Shabbos. Have it all prepared before Shabbos. Chazal understood from that pasuk something slightly different. They understood vehichinu is a positive command. Prepare your food for Shabbos. Meaning something which is not prepared for Shabbos is forbidden to be used on Shabbos. Every item that's going to be used on Shabbos has to have some level of preparation in place for it to be used on Shabbos. Now that doesn't mean that I have to go around my house saying, right, I'm using that tomorrow and I'm going to use that tomorrow. I'm not using that tomorrow, I'm using that tomorrow. That's not what it means. There are certain items that automatically are called prepared for Shabbos and there are some items that are not called prepared for Shabbos. So every knife and fork in your cup in your kitchen drawer on every uh, plate and saucer and cup is considered an item which is prepared for Shabbos because they are items that intrinsically are going to be used when they, when they need to be used, and therefore and intrinsically are considered items that are prepared for Shabbos. But we also have items that are intrinsically not prepared for Shabbos. They have, they, they, if I ask you today, that item there, what's that item? That item is not going to be used for Shabbos. It's, it's been put aside, it's, it's been removed from the category of prepared for Shabbos. That item then becomes muksa to the extent I'm not allowed to touch it, move it, etc. Well, we'll discuss the exact extent of that a bit later. So what I'm looking for here in the different categories of muksa is to find categories, not specific items, because once we have the categories, then we can discuss the specific items. But I want to describe categories of items that will be removed from the intrinsic preparation for Shabbos. So all food is prepared for Shabbos. Raw food, for example, 
That you can understand. That's not prepared for Shabbos. So a raw potato is a piece of food that's not prepared for Shabbos because it's not edible. In order to eat it, you have to prepare it. So a raw potato is not so. Simple. Not so. Which category of moxa it goes under? We'll discuss that later. But a raw potato would be considered moxa. So if you want to, to you keep your, your, to, your toddler or somebody quiet or you're, you're having an argument with someone and you want to throw a raw potato in, it's forbidden to throw a raw potato on Shabbos for two reasons. First of all, because the potato is moxa. Secondly, because you mustn't throw uh, potatoes at anybody anyway. And thirdly, because if you made a bruise on the person on Shabbos, you've, you've transgressed another issa. But that's an aside. Raw potatoes are also, and you can understand the concept a little bit, because it's not prepared for Shabbos. Another example, and we'll explain the category a bit later, is the Mishnah tells us, this is one of the first Mishnahs that most children learn, a beitza shenolda b'yontav. An egg which is laid on yontav is considered muksa. Why is it considered muksa? Because this egg didn't exist before Shabbos. So it wasn't prepared for Shabbos. If it wasn't prepared for Shabbos, now that it becomes an egg on Shabbos, it was laid and it's, it's developed and been born in inverted commas, it's been laid on Shabbos, it wasn't prepared before Shabbos. So it's an unprepared egg. Muxa. Muxa. So you get a little bit of the concept. The Chazal understood that something which is vehichinu esashi yaviu, something which has been prepared for Shabbos, fine, use a Shabbos. Something which is out of the category of being prepared for Shabbos, it's been taken away from that preparation, so it's rather the preparation is not positive preparation, it's more a lack of a negative. Something which is not prepared for Shabbos is forbidden, everything else is considered prepared for Shabbos. So we're now going to go through the categories of what's considered not prepared for Shabbos, with the first category being Muxa Machmas Muxa Machmas case means something which has been set aside because it's valuable. So if you have in your china cupboard a, a, a china beautiful bowl, a cobalt china bowl which is worth hundreds of pounds and, and every time your, your grandchildren or somebody comes in and starts opening that cupboard door, you shriek because don't touch that at work that's called something which is kiss. if I ask you will you ever use that cobalt china dish you'll say almost never if the queen came to visit me maybe I'll take it out otherwise that stays on there it's there, it looks beautiful, it gives me status people come in, it's, a, it's a, an article of discussion, it's fantastic but it doesn't get used so that item has been set aside from being used as, a, as it, what it's meant to be used for. It's meant to be used as a bowl, but I'm not going to use it as a bowl. So I've de- removed it from its histamshus, from its, from its normal use. I've set it aside because it's valuable. Anything which is valuable is muksam machmas for some kids. Now it doesn't have to be practically valuable. It could be just valuable to me. Anything that I've set aside not to use because it has value, whether it's sentimental value or intrinsic value or, or, or financial value, it makes no difference to me. Something that should be set aside as, as valuable, that's muksa machas can't be used That is muksa on Shabbos. So to actually go into your silver cupboard, you're telling you what, what type of silver cupboard you have. But if you have a silver cupboard that you never use, and, uh, and some silver cupboards are covered, if you use it once a year, that's also not called use. You know, I never touch it because it's expensive. And, and, and I leave it in the cupboard, but once a year, Pesach, I'll bring it out. That may still be considered Muxmachos, Kisar, Kis. Maybe forbidden for you to take out that, that China bath or that silver um, Kara, Pesach Kara, or whatever it is, and show your friend when they come to visit. It just may be Muxa, depending on how you've set it aside. Uh, one of the discussions we had in Hatsola, for example, was are Hatsola radios considered Muxmachos, Kisar, Kis? Is the Atsala radio an item of Muxa? Now, the Atsala radios are very expensive. They're digital radios and they cost a fortune. They cost an absolute fortune. So, 
do you consider that a item which is muksa because it's a foreign kit, or is it not? So in order to prove to me that it's not, they had to take a radio and they threw it against the wall. They literally took the radio and they threw it against the wall to show me that it's unbreakable. They're made so strong that even though they're so valuable and they cost a lot of money, but I would never stop my child from picking it up and playing with it. Well, I don't want to press a button, but I would never worry about my child pushing it off the table and throwing it against it because it's unbreakable. And therefore, they, it's never set aside as an item which is expensive. If I have a mobile phone which costs me £400, it's probably a smartphone, you shouldn't have a smartphone anyway, so I'm not here discussing smartphones now, but imagine you bought a non-smartphone which costs £400, £500, £600. The last thing you're going to do is let your two-year-old son, grandson, great-grandson, pick it up and stop playing with it, for the simple reason that it's expensive. So there's an element of chisorin kiss there. So on Counts Friday, you're going to put it away in a cupboard to make sure that Nobody gets hold of it because you don't want anybody to touch something that's expensive. Could be that will be muksa mach mach kiss. It's actually muksa for other reasons too. But I'm just trying to give an example of something which is sarn kiss, which may be used at times, but yet could still be considered sarn kiss because you'll come shabbat and careful to put it away so that you're preserving the, the, the item from being damaged because it's worth so much. So that's the first item of muksa. That's called muksa mach mach kiss. Next level of muksa. Are we clear? Simple. Next level, the next level of muksa, next category of muksa is what we call muksa machmas gufay, something which is muksa machmas gufay. It's muksa because of itself. That's what the translation of muksa machmas gufay means. It's muksa because of itself, which means it's muksa because it has no intrinsic purpose. Something that has no intrinsic purpose, it has no intrinsic function. It's purposeless. Therefore, it's not an item which has been prepared. I take a stone in the street, I take a piece of wood, a stone from my back garden, a piece of wood in my back garden. It has no intrinsic purpose, none whatsoever. If I ask somebody, what's this, what's this, what's this stone? It's a stone. What does it do? It's a stone. What do you mean what does it do? It's a stone. It does nothing. It's a stone. It has no purpose. Something which has no purpose cannot be considered prepared for Shabbos. When did I prepare it? Now, I can, and we will discuss this, Hashem, take a, a, an item which has no purpose to it and give it a purpose, so I can pick up a stone in my back garden and turn it into a door stopper. I can do that. But then I'm taking an item which has no intrinsic purpose and giving it a set purpose. That's fine. How do I do that in order to remove the concept of muksa from it? We will discuss. Is it okay just to do it for one Shabbos? Do I have to do it for a certain amount of days, a certain amount of weeks? We will discuss that. But the concept of muksa machmasgufa is something that has no intrinsic purpose. Interesting is that money is called muksa machmas gufay because money has no intrinsic purpose. It has intrinsic value, but it has no intrinsic purpose. I don't use money for anything other than bartering. I don't do. I don't use it for stopping the, the plug in my in my bath or something. Or what I can use money for. I don't use it as a bottle top. I, I, I don't. Money has no use. Money is never used. It's not used. A pound coin is used for one thing and one thing only. It's, it has no intrinsic purpose other than being used to buy something. Buying something is itself perhaps often shabbos, but it's not called a keli in any sense whatsoever. It's similar to a stone, it has no purpose. And therefore, something like that is considered not prepared for shabbos, muksa. Can't touch it. Can't touch it. Money is not chisan kiss because most people don't care about how. You can't use a card in Shabbos. Can you use a credit card to open your door in Shabbos? 
You know, when you come home and, and you've lost your keys, so you want to use a credit card. You've never seen them do it. Very clever. You use a credit card. Don't tell me they're not going to have to do it, but uh, just push a credit card through. In the old-fashioned doors, you could just push a credit card, credit, old-fashioned earlocks. Just push a credit card around the door and you open the door. Very simple, simple you know, because the, the lock is angled. And, it, and you push the credit card around. It's, uh, it's very simple. Sorry? Is, is it? Yeah, well, we'll ask, uh, miss ask him. They'll tell you how to do it. But, is a credit card book, sir? It has no intrinsic purpose other than using a credit card. It's not, you don't use a credit card. Maybe, maybe a credit card's a bit better. Maybe you use it as a ruler. Are some people who use credit cards as rulers. And if you think I'm mad, they come go to most bottom Russian. You don't see rulers on the thing when they want to underline them. They don't. They take a credit card. And so maybe it has... Maybe credit card's a bad example, but you, you, you get the picture here. That we need to find something which has some intrinsic purpose for it to be considered a KD, for it to, to be considered something which, which is usable so that, that removes it from its category of Muqsa, Muqsa Mahmas Gufay. Something which has no intrinsic purpose is called Muqsa Mahmas Gufay. The third category. Yes. Then, then you've, you've given it an intrinsic purpose. If, if jewelry has a purpose. The third, the third category, the third category is what's known as muksa mahmas issa. So this is a item that has its intrinsic purpose. It does have a purpose of use, but the only use it ever has, and it's possible to use, is something which is forbidden for you to do on Shabbos. So let me. Think of some of I mean, there's plenty of cases out there which is muksa uh, Maybe even a telephone. Let's talk about telephone. A telephone is probably muksa for the mathematician. The only thing you can do with a telephone is some sort of use that it will be awesome. Because the moment you start using a telephone, you're going to be entering into history. So therefore, an item that the only way it can actually ever be used is by doing an issa is muksa. Again, sorry, no, screwdriver can be used for other things. So that's not a muxamach sister. You can use a screwdriver to make a hole in your bottle top. Nothing wrong with that. To use a, 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 a phone for alarm may be okay, but the extra, to, to set the alarm will have to be will have to be done through an issa. So I'm not sure that's considered a separate use. The only way you can get to the alarm is by doing an issa. Fine. So, so but but. So, so now we have a question. Is it, is, are you allowed to pick it up or are you allowed to pick it up? So, questionable. But let's, let's say you have a phone without an alarm on it. So let's get, let's get around. I'm, I'm trying to find a scenario of something which is totally awesome. Um, just the only thing you can ever use it for is something which is offered, and therefore the item is not considered non-prepared for Shabbos. Because this is an item that since the only thing you can do is forbidden to do on Shabbos, you're not going to use it on Shabbos. So as Shabbos comes in, and I look at that item, I'm going to say it's a non-Shabbos item. Muksa. A non-Shabbos item is considered Muksa. Something which has been removed from the Hathana, from the preparation for Shabbos, is considered Muksa. And therefore, Muksa Mahmas is Muksa. Following on from that, we have a ne- the category which is a subcategory of Muksa Mahmas Issa, but it's really a category in its own right, and that's something which is a Kei Shemalachtai Leitza. Meaning, it's an item which its primary use is for something which is forbidden, like a screwdriver. Its primary purpose is something which is forbidden. But it can serve other purposes. So you can have a pen, you can have uh, screwdrivers, hammers, uh, uh, anything like that. 
its primary purpose is, is to use for something which is also it's also to knock a nail into a wall of Shabbos it's forbidden to screw a screw into a wall of Shabbos but I can use a pen for other reasons I can use a pen to scratch my head and people do they take a pen and they, they scratch their head with it why not there's other purposes to the item though they're minor they're not the primary purpose the primary reason why I use this item but that's what the case from that is those two have complete they're, diff- they're different categories of, of muksa and they have different halachas attached to them complete different halachas moving on from there we have another category which is known as muksa machmas mius something which is revolting and this is extremely relevant for Shabbos it's relevant to everything every person does to or garbage can I don't know how you want me to refer it every piece of bag of rubbish that you have in your house is probably muftamah you've emptied your, your old food into it and it's absolutely revolting and nobody's ever going to use the stuff that's inside your besides boxes inside your rubbish bag so the rubbish inside your bag is therefore considered muksa. it's muksa machmas mius Muksa machmas mius. is something which has been set aside. Again, since I'm never going to use this, I'm never going to use it. It's, it's, it's revolting. It's disgusting. I'm not going to actually allow myself to use it. The moment I'm not going to use it, Shabbos comes in, and there's something revolting there. I'm never going to use this on Shabbos, so it becomes removed from Shabbos use. It's lost its hachama. It's not prepared for Shabbos. Muksa. Again, muksa machmas mius has its own category of halachas how one responds to if you have lying around your floor in your kitchen on a Shabbos afternoon something which is revolting do you have to leave it there are you allowed to remove it we'll discuss that in the when we go through line by line the different categories of muksa. but it is a category of muksa called muksa machmas mius we move on to uh, a final category of muksa, and then we'll come on to the last one the, the final category of muksa is what we call muksa machmas mitzvah this is something which is being set aside because you want to use it for mitzvah and because I want to use it for a mitzvah, I'm not going to use it for anything else. So, for example, an esrik. I bought myself an esrik. It cost me an absolute fortune. I went to Mr. Coleman, and I went to him, please, can I come to the back? Let me have a look at the stuff in the back. And he says, fine, no problem. If, you, you know, if you're worth it, I'll take you to the back. And he takes me out to the back, and he finds me an esrik. It's absolutely stunning. 150 pounds. Now, I once came over with a 150-pound esrik. I left it on my front room table. It was my fault. And a little child came in, who shall remain nameless. She happens to be my youngest child, and she says, "Can I have a look at the esrog?" And she, I wasn't around to answer, so she opened it up and she had a look at the esrog. And understandably, I get this shyla every single year, so she's perfectly harmless. I gave her a big kiss afterwards, but she lost me 150 pounds. But what can you do? Had I been sensible, which I should be, and I should have been, and I usually, I usually am. It wasn't this year, but it was a few years ago. And I usually am. I, I would put it away in a place where she can't get it. She knows now not to touch my esrog. But I have bring an esrog home. What am I going to do with that esrog? It cost me 150 pounds, and that's cheap. I can take you to some places. You get three, four hundred pounds on esrog. Beautiful. They really are beautiful. And you can come to shul. You hold it, and people look at it and say, "Ah, what esrog? How much did you pay?" You give a big smile and you say, "Four hundred pounds. Lovely. Fantastic." But what are you going to do with that esrog? You're going to leave it lying around? You're going to make jam out of it? Of course not. You're going to put it aside, locked in your cupboard, make sure that nobody comes anywhere near it, nobody's going to touch it because you want to make sure that that esrog is ready to come to shul and that can be kind of mitzvah. Muqsah, mitzvah. Therefore, since I want it for a mitzvah purpose, I'm never ever going to use it for anything else. So I've removed it from being there to be used on Shabbos. Muqsah. An esrog on a Shabbos pre-yomtav probably Another item which is very common and people misunderstand it is your decorations on sukkahs. 
Declaration of Principle, and they actually muxa for the whole seven days. And we will discuss, Mr. Shem, what that means, because this is something which I get, often get questions. Uh, my declaration fell down on Chalamoy, am I allowed to pick it up? So we have to discuss that. Again, the category of muxa machos mitzvah has its own halachic connotations, halachic connotations, and it doesn't actually have to be the same as all the other categories. Each category will have its own area of halacha which is relevant to it that might not actually match and be relevant to some of the other categories and finally we come to the last of the categories of Moksha after Sukhya Tomoksha you can come to my house now I've got 7, 8, 9 and Shrogi in there you can have touched them on the Shabbos they're set aside to be used to make the jam anybody wants to order it my wife will give you a little jar of jam grab some families that are ordered there sorry that's a different story. Shabbat candles is, is muksa for, for A, because it's machmas isa, because it can only be used for, for, for fire. Second of all, they've got fire on them. Fire itself is muksa machmas gufay, because there's no purpose to fire. It doesn't serve a purpose as a use. It gives life. It doesn't serve. A purpose is going to be a, a, uh, an active purpose. You've got to be able to do something with it. The fact that it gives life is not, uh, is not considered a purpose. And thirdly, as we're going to discuss now, we'll come to the last category of muksa, and that's called bosses. Bosses, the dog of And this is not really a category of muksa, because bosses will take on the category of whatever is on top of it. A bosses in, in English is exactly the same word. Bosses and base is the same word. It means it's a base for whatever is on top of it. So if I have a piece of muksa, whether it's muksa machmas sankit, or whether it's muksa machmas gufoy, or it's machmas issa, or kedishim lachad issa, or machmas mius, or machmas mitzvah, any of those categories on a base, that base, and it was put on there before Shabbos, and it stays on it throughout the onset of Shabbos, that base now takes on the status of the item that's on top of it. And if you ask me, is a candle muksa, a candle muksa for a number of reasons, but there's another reason why candle muksa is because I have a flame on top. And this candle is now a base for my flame. So I could have a candle being muksa, my candlesticks being muksa, my tray under the candlesticks being muksa, my tablecloth being muksa, and my table protector being muksa, and my table being muksa too. All because I've got candles on. So how we get around that, we'll have to discuss. I need to be able to get around that. I need to change my tablecloth. I need to be able to move my table because it's holding the tray, which is holding the candlesticks, which is holding the candle, which is holding the fire. So it gets a bit complicated. And the, the halacha discusses, how do we get around that? I need to be able to move my tray, I need to be able to move my table, I need to be able to move my tablecloth, I need to change the tablecloth. It's, 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 I can't use the same t- tablecloth Friday night Shabbos morning, that would be a, a cardinal sin. So uh, I've got to do something to be able to... The, oh, we, as much as we will discuss as much as we can through the halachas of Muxabay. You, you begin to get a concept of the... the, the enormity of muksa, how, how much it really does affect every one of us every single Shabbos. Now most of this is second nature to us because we do know roughly what we are allowed to touch and what we're not allowed to touch but sometimes we err on the side of caution because we're not fully informed what our lockers of muksa are. So if I come to my Shabbos table and I find a pen in the middle of the table I'm allowed to move, I'm not allowed to move it so you're going to start doing all these antics and standing on your head and doing it upside down in order to you know what? You can pick the pen up and move it away. Nothing wrong. And we'll see why when we get there. If I come to my Shabbos table and I find a pound coin in the middle of my table, then I've got serious problems. Because I'm not allowed to pick up that coin to move it away. Even though they're both moksha, but they come from different categories. So, how do I remove that coin from the table? And how do I remove my pen from the table? It's vastly different. They're both in the halachas of moksha, 
different categories of moksha and they have different responses to the scenarios that we just mentioned. And therefore it's important to know the halakhs of moksha because it will make life easier for you rather than more difficult. You'd have to set aside that coin for that, for that, uh, that, that purpose. Because then you take something which has no intrinsic purpose and you're creating a purpose for it. But then you have to set it aside for that purpose. You can't just open your purse and take out the pound coin to do it. Now, we're running out of time, so I'm just going to briefly run through the different areas of where, where muksa is relevant, and then we'll come back next week and we'll, we'll begin to itemize as much as we can. Chazal forbade us to actually use muksa. That's what the muksa means. You're not allowed to use, you're not allowed to muksa. You're not allowed to use muksa. You can't move muksa. But anything else is okay. Using muksa isn't in, in the simplest term of use as we would understand it in, in, in its English form. For example, you're allowed to sit on a stone. You have a big stone in the, in the street, uh, uh, which is muksa. Any type of stone, make it a small or big is muksa. Muksa might because it serves no intrinsic purpose, but you're allowed to sit on it. There's nothing wrong with sitting on a piece of stone. Even though, technically speaking, I'm using that stone. Uh, I can sit on a, a fallen tree. So I have a, a, a massive tree trunk which has fallen. I go for a walk in the park and I think in, in, in Golders Hill Park they have like a big tree trunk next to the, the play area which is meant for people to sit on. It's just a fallen tree trunk. Uh, nothing wrong to sit on it. Even though that tree trunk is technically muksa. That's not what we stumptious. So we have to explain in detail what using muksa means. Using muksa means literally to use it. To, act, to use it as, as a device for something, to use it as a means for something, but to passively use it, that's not considered use. Moving muksa is forbidden, so I can't take a tree, tree trunk and move it. I can't do that. But to touch something which is muksa, in itself is not awesome. So you're allowed to really walk past a car and touch a car, Shabbos. There's very little issue in touching muksa. It's forbidden to touch muksa where there's a risk that by touching, you could come to move it. So, can I walk past a, a pen, or a coin, or, or, or a small twig, and touch it? And the answer is no. Because if I touch it, I'm risking, I'm actually going to be in the and I'm going to move it. I'm moving as often. So therefore, ideally, you shouldn't touch something where there's a risk of moving. But very few cars, by me touching, are going to move. They're a little bit heavier than my little touch, and therefore, if I touch a car, technically speaking, I've done nothing wrong. We try to avoid, and we tell our children not to touch cars, because it's muksa, but in real terms, touching muksa is not also. Moving muksa is also, using muksa is also, passively using, using, or just touching, is not under the, the banner of this muksa. So it does make life a little bit easier. Sorry? No. I can lean on a car. I'm talking to you outside your house, and I'm very tired, so I'll step back and I'll lean on the car. Is there anything wrong with that? Shock. Sorry. Now, sitting on a tree, Using a tree is in a different category. So, so we spoke about a tree trunk which has been, which is not a grown tree trunk, it's not a live tree trunk. That's fine. Using a tree has, has a different issue completely. Because uh, I were worried that you might climb a tree, you might use a tree and, 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 and break a branch off a tree. So you can't use a tree in that sense. Leaning on a, a tree which is growing may be different to leaning on a car. 
but that's a different category. It's not under the banner of muksa. That's for a different, different, a different reason completely. But muksa itself has two primary issues: moving it and using it. Using means actively using, not passively using, and moving means practically moving and not just touching. Though touching something which could be moved easily is under the banner of moving and one shouldn't touch. I think that gives us enough of a background for, for now. We've given you the concept of what muksa is, the reasoning behind muksa, how Chazal based it on Beshim Hashem Therefore, from that transpired the seven or eight or nine, depending on how you want to define them, different, different areas of muksa, and the basic Isurim of muksa is really two, Ishtamshus using and moving, everything else is simple. We now need to go through line by line each category, whether there are any leniencies in, in, in any of the categories, so which categories are more lenient, which, which categories are more, more stringent than the other, and then bring in some more practical, uh, relevant ideas. So, for example, your pots in your cupboard, are they muksa, they're not muksa? All these types of things we'll, we'll have to go through, because pots are muksa, by the way, just in case you're not sure. An empty pot, which is not being used, is muksa. Serves uh, no purpose other than primary purpose is to cook. Cooking is awesome, so a pot would be considered a cage and not this. Yeah, then we have to discuss what case and after this is. But the, the underlying notion of a, cup is, of, of a pot is muksa. muksa. Again, not every muksa means I can't use it. Not every muksa means I can't touch it. Not every muksa. There are times when I can actually use some muksa. There are times when I can move some muksa, as we discussed when we came to the pen and the coin. And we will go through line by line. But there's n- numerous, numerous items in your house which you're probably not fully aware of. You might, you, might, you might not actually come across them all the time, but you're not fully aware that they actually are in the category of muksa. We will go through and discuss each one of them as much as we can. I just want to point out one point before we stop, which is relevant to, well, it's not really relevant to Cedra, but it is always relevant to Cedra, that, that the, the, the understanding behind Muksa, as we mentioned right at the beginning of this year, was to create Shabbos into a Shabbos. If you really define it and, and analyze it a little bit, a little bit, a little bit more, you'll see what Chazal were trying to do was to take us away from the mundane world. They wanted us to live in the world of Shabbos. They wanted us to, to live in the world of, of Kodesh Baruch rather than living in, in the mundane world. You can live, you can keep Shabbos, the basic rules of Shabbos, and be a very physical person. Or you can be a, live, keep Shabbos and be a spiritual person, live a spiritual Shabbos. And as I'll try to create for us an environment and an atmosphere that we can actually live in the spiritual Shabbos. And that's why the, the, the Bess Yosef, when he dis- describes Muksa, he actually gives us six categories of Muksa. And he puts all the different other categories under the titles of six categories of Muksa, because of course, as we know, six is the six days of the week. Meaning that the six, six aspects of the physical world that we're trying to refrain from, the, the different areas of the weekday that we're trying to refrain from, so when we come to Shabbos, we can be in the end Olam Haba of Shabbos. That's the, that, 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 those are the six categories of Muksa that the the Shasta points out, and by keeping Shabbos not touching Muksa, we're actually moving ourselves away from the six into the seven. We're moving ourselves away from the six, we're detaching ourselves from the mundane from the six, and we're moving ourselves into the world of seven, into the world of Shabbos, into the world of men. And we should be able to keep Shabbos in its fullest, and to, 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 with the halachas as we're supposed to, and as we know, anybody who can touch Shabbos, keep two Shabbos. Uh, sometimes two Shabbos can mean from some people one whole Shabbos properly. That would be enough to trigger the be a girl the Here we may not remain. Thank you very much.